Welcome to the Loose Head Podcast. To accomplish great things, we must not only act, but also dream. Not only plan, but also believe. In a way, we want you to fail because we know you're pushing yourself to a new level. I've rarely seen capability compensate for a lack of character or a lack of capacity. Today I'm delighted to welcome George Murray, who's the head performance analyst for Munster Rugby and also the head coach of Bowes in Limerick. George, how are you getting on? How are you managing everything? Great, Jeff. Managing well. Um, I'm in here working, which is the key. I'm not sitting at home, unfortunately, like a, like a lot of other people. So it's great to be to be out of the house doing a little bit. Um, and great to be on your show. I've been listening to some of your podcasts in the last few months. It's been uh, it's been excellent. Um, oh, thank, thanks, like I said, delighted to be part of it. Thanks a million. I think like anyone, I'm just kind of looking to reach out and I suppose do an unofficial CPD myself. You know what I mean? I'm sure you've probably been doing the same yourself. Yeah, he's inundated with CPD stuff, which is fantastic. Uh, it just becomes one of those, uh, not too bad now because you're, you were out on the pitch, etc. But during that first lockdown where you're, you know, you're trying to fill your day with things. Um, you know, there was a lot of phone calls, a lot of Zoom calls all around the world. And, and it's fantastic. But it also becomes a little bit of uh, monotonous at the time you're hearing the same things over and over again so it's just to try and pick those important ones that, that are going to make you better in terms of being involved with Munster and Bose I imagine it was very strange kind of coming from the professional aspect of Munster where everything was almost business as usual to Bose where you you know you kind of have to step back because of different bubbles and you know it's it's not it's two very different rugby environments I suppose yeah it's a it's, a, it's an amazing situation this COVID I mean uh, besides all the health health problems but I mean You've got people who are rugby coaches, analysts, you know, physios, and now they've got to be full-time COVID experts. Um, and a lot of that's been, it's been a massive challenge for people to understand and figure out how how best to do things, how to do things safely um, with, with, with less risk. So, um, you know, when it first happened, COVID uh, struck around March. I mean, we came back from Italy just the week before things really started getting hot around Ireland. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, then you were figuring out how to manage players from a distance. You know, trade price and Zoom went through the roof, um, and uh, you know, I wasn't on that. I know I never invested, but um, you know, you you just adapt. That's the key. That was the key message. Just adapt, and 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 things that you never done before became the new norm. Um, and uh, if you didn't do them, you were left behind. So I think that was the key thing at the start, without going into the detail of exactly what we done. It's just adapt. Um, today I'd like to chat to you both about your video analysis work and also you know, about coaching with Bose. And uh, I guess that it's a nice situation to be in that I get to be, I, that I'm able to chat to someone about both and who has such a wide experience of both. So um, I, I suppose the first half I'm going to focus on kind of your video work and your performance analysis role for Munster. And then we can focus on Bose later on and some of the chat I'm sure will carry across to it. But just first off, in, in terms of your role at Munster, um, I know you're the head performance analysis for Munster Rugby, but for anyone listening, what does your job entail as a whole? Yeah, it's 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 wide encompassing, really. Um, you know, I've been working with Monster nearly nineteen seasons now since uh, you know May two thousand and two uh, when I first came in. So the job itself has evolved incredibly um, from you know from initially just being particularly a video guy, you record training and uh, you know cut it up, give it to the coaches, give it got it out to the players. Um, back then it was you know the VHS deck, 
recording 30, 40 VHS tapes and sending them off. I say that at the odd lecture every once in a while, and students look at you and go, what's a VHS? What's but, a VHS, yeah. <laughs> but uh, VHS was very much our thing back then. Um, so look, look, that's that's um, that, that's too much about back then. But, um, you know, right now, uh, you know, the role of performance analyst, again, it's, it's servicing the team, most importantly, um, in whatever way possible. It's been innovative. It's been... Um, you know, prescriptive on a few things, but but most importantly, it's providing data and video um, and information to the team that, that I suppose one of the taglines I have for my department is uh, increasing the win potential of the team. Um, so that win potential comes in many, many different ways. That's just maybe having your eyes in a game, picking up a small little trend, passing that information to the right people in the organization. It might be, you know, watching training um, from three or four different angles that we watch training, be it a drone, um, side angles, end-ons, close cameras, again, sitting down with the coaches, picking up something that maybe they have missed. Um, and likewise, just watching the world game, seeing how the, how the trends in the game are developing um, and staying on top of that. So, you know, the, every day is very different. You wouldn't be in this job for 19 years if it was just the same thing all the time. It's it's very, very different every day. You watch sport and, and rugby on TV now, and, you know, there's lots of everyone has an opinion on Twitter and social media. And they're all, you know, they're not all wrong. And, and the key is that you you stay on top of those opinions. You see what's shaping the game and, and, and what's going to shape your game. So does that mean at the start of the season, you sit down and talk to the coaches and they tell you, we want to play this way, we want to go in this direction. And it's almost on you, not just to facilitate that, um, but also to make sure that you're on track all the time. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's very much um, an alignment thing. Um, I think any part, any part of any critical part of a successful coaching group uh, has alignment with their philosophy and their plan right throughout the organization. So, um, you know, we sit down with the coaches pre-season. We spend a bit of time looking at where our game was last season and where we want to bring our game going forward. Um, You know, we'll obviously not be the strongest voice in that room, but we support uh, the coaches in in, in where they want to go with, but also be critical when, when it needs to be around you know, if their opinion is we want to go this way um, and we say, well, we went that way a little bit last year and, you know, this, these are statistics around our game. This is the vision around our game that proved that it did or didn't work. So we're always there to support the coaches. That's that's the single most important thing. Um, you know, they're they're the guys, they're the professionals in this um, and they got to see where our team is going forward. Um, but we're there to equip them with the knowledge and the information to back certain things up. On the opposite side of it, when it comes to analysing opposition, do you present information to the coaches or do you also look how to counteract that play? Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, that's a big part of our role is is getting ahead of the game for, for the coaches. Um, you know, from the front end part of the week, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, coaches are flat out trying to implement the game plan for the coming week. Um, our Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, particularly my role is opposite, you know, I, I, I chief role of analysing the opposition. And um, my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is getting ready to present to them on a Thursday, like I did this morning on uh, Scarlet's, for example, for next week. So I'd get a lot of uh, information ready for them. I'd watch all the games. I'd piece together a, a storyline of uh, strengths and weaknesses and um, opportunities that we can see against the opposition and, and threats that we need to be aware of. Um, Paul O'Brien, my assistant, then puts together a statistical package based on the uh, the uh, the common trends of that opposition and then we present that to them on a Thursday morning so you get a bit of a cleared ahead Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday it's all about prepping for this week as a Friday game and then Thursday then we're, we're starting to build in for the next week's opposition and that's where we step in then 
I imagine with all the new technology that's constantly coming about that it can be almost a gift and a curse, a gift because that obviously helps you in your role and in your job, but also a curse in terms of, I imagine players' demands for information just get more and more with more information that's available, you know. I'm, I'm sure players just want as much information as possible about their opposite man or about their opposite player. But how far do you think this development of information in rugby can go? Do you think that we've reached maybe the crux of it or do you think that, you know, that it can go further again? No, I, I, I definitely think it can go further again, but balance is always the key to this. Um, you, you've got to have uh, your finger on the pulse of what's, what's good information what's just lots of information and, and, and 90% of it's irrelevant. So that's part of my role is to make sure um, what gets to the players is diluted down to the important information because there it's, you know, there's information saturation out there. Um, and I go back to a, a statement Paul O'Connell used to say to me a lot of the time, I'd come, come to him with a lot of ideas and see this, watch this, look at that. And he'd get a little bit frustrated and he'd go, what's going to make us win? And if you actually think about all that stuff and you, and you peel it back and, you know, what's going to make us better, what's going to make us win, that, that's the question you got to ask yourself when you, when you go to a player or when you go to a coach because we all have opinions and there's lots and lots of opinions. Um, I've got thousands and thousands of reams of data every week on our game and I've watched hours and hours of footage. But you've got to pick out of all that what's actually the two or three vital things for us to gain that 1% improvement at the end of the week. So, there's a skill in that itself. It's one of the things that we look at when, when an intern comes in or, or, or a new analyst comes in is, you know, give them projects, watch things, but dilute that down to the very, very key messages is critical. I was just about that. Like that actually brings me on to my next point. When you sit down to watch a game, especially if you're analyzing your own team, let's say rather than opposition, if you're sitting down to analyze your own game from the weekend, what's the first thing you look for? Do you look at the tries you conceded and what happened there? Or do you just look at open play and think, okay, our defense was set here and that's a good picture? Or what's, what, what would be the first pillars you look for? Yeah, well, it's a good question. Uh, one of the big things I look for is actually our performance outcome. Um, and it's a, it's a metric we've looked at for the last maybe five, six years. Um, I challenged myself uh, quite a few years back with um, uh, actually with the help of uh, Stephen Abood up in the IRFU who's now with the Italian Rugby Union and a number of other people. We, we wanted to look at when a coach or when a person says, you know, Munster were 10% off or, you know, we were 10% better this week was actually to put a value on that and see what it looked like. Um, so through a number of different ways of measuring a performance outcome um, from an attack and defensive point of view. Um, we started to come up with a, what we call a sum of success, which was a performance score um, and gave us a, a, a kind of a one number answer to our game without being the absolute answer to our performance. But it gave us a, a kind of a benchmark to our performance of what, what winning and losing was or what a good performance or a poor performance looked like. And then when we reached that performance, we were able to look at what achieved, what, what contributed most to, to, to allowing us, you know, maybe be 10 percent ahead of that performance score. And then on the flip side, when we were 10% under that performance score after a loss, what were the key attributes that contributed to the, to, uh, to us not performing on the weekend? So I suppose we, we looked at ways of, of valuing everything and valuing training, how we performed in training on a Monday, how we performed in training on a Tuesday afternoon compared to Tuesday morning. You know, players' uh, wellness and fatigue levels, um, you know, our coaching messages, our, our the, the messages the players get the coaches. By scoring all that and valuing everything that we probably put in front of the players during the week and including how the players performed individually on the weekend, that was able to give us this score. So that goal goes into the pot. Um, so to answer your question about what we look at straight away, 
is actually that performance score. Um, if we can replicate replicate that performance score at training and have high demands and how we train, you know, we, we it goes a long way towards how we play. Then we can go into the detail of uh, you know our defensive line set, our kick chase, you know, our attack three phase sequence, all those different things that are part of the game and, and are critically part of the game. But if we look at the big picture first and build it back and tailor it, tailor it backwards, it gives us better answers around our game. Looking at that performance score, what you said there, what we do during the week also builds into it. It's important to like just to take that point and to think it's not just the game itself that you're you're analyzing. And you said it there, players' wellness throughout the week and the messages we gave players throughout the week. And while getting a performance score is probably, let's face it, out of the realms for a lot of amateur coaches and the setups they have certainly reflecting on the messages they gave their players during the week is something they could do rather than thinking, okay, we didn't play well on Sunday, so we have to go fake each other on Tuesday or whatever it is, you know? And, you know, so, and, and, and I do understand because like as an amateur coach as well, I see that, you know, on a Sunday, the breakdown might not be great. So you do have to go away and work on that too. But, you know, I don't think an awful lot of, well, I can, just from my own experience, I don't know how many, amateur coaches look back and think okay well I said this last Tuesday did that feed into Sunday's performance and it's probably important to reflect on that as much as the performance itself yeah Jeff you're 100% right like one of the one of the critical things I learned coaching the club game um, with with the help of a few players and their feedback is I, I'd regularly ask them what you think what do you think about the plans we had how do you think training went but one of the big things that came out of it I'd have lots of ideas coming out of a professional game and um, you'd want to implement them, um, and you maybe get frustrated when they when the players couldn't do what you were hoping they could do. But what in fact came out uh, the biggest feedback I got from players at club level was that the simpler the plan and the more detail in the coaching was more more uh, relevant to them performing in the weekend. So rather than giving them five maybe ten intricate plays that look incredible after analysing you know a a one B or a you know a 2a team or whatever it may be look you know this is going to work you know for them to be able to um put that in place over the course of a week and still go out and perform and try to think about all the detail and trying to think about where they got to be and where, you know that was actually um that was actually um went, was negative it turned into a negative performance for them because they they couldn't comprehend or, or you know take all that information in and get themselves physically and mentally in the right place to, to play on a saturday so tailoring it back and building um, a skill set over a period of time was much more valuable. Um, having a simple game plan, having a simple couple of strike plays and a simple couple of pattern plays and getting better at that and then being able to manipulate it um, a little bit more or add, add, add variation to it was, was far more valuable than coming in on a on one week going, we're going to run these five plays because it's going to work against that opposition or we're going to run these next week, we're going to do this. You know, they, they couldn't take that on board. It's funny because Nick Evans said that too. And so did actually chatting to Jerry Flannery, who you probably know well, or you do know well. And yeah. he said over in Harlequins, it's just given maybe three simple messages. I'd like you to, let's say if you're talking to a tight head, I'd like you to scrummage first, then your next job, then your next job, just focus on those three. And then we can work on everything else outside it. And he said, giving that source of calm, I suppose, opens up better execution for the player because they know exactly what they have to focus on rather than thinking, okay, I have to do this role now, but then I have five more roles following that and I have to concentrate on each of those five roles rather than just ABC, ABC, ABC right throughout the game and given that kind of source of, of cam, I think is probably the right word to use. Would you, would you agree? 
a hundred percent. There's a couple of things on this. I mean, look, I, I done a CPD course there a couple of years ago. I went over to San Francisco and spent a bit of time with the um, Golden State Warriors. Now I never met to get, I never met to, uh, or got to meet my idol Steve Kerr, but I got to meet some of his assistants and uh, have a chat with them. And one of the big messages that they had was obviously basketball being a three point, the highest score they could do, and um, they got a three point messaging system around everything they do at that level. Um, and a lot of it meant was you got you know, you got X amount of meetings. You could have 10 meetings a day, but you could have a maximum of three points in each meeting. Um, the players just couldn't retain it, but not beyond that. Um, and the modern player, you need to engage them a little bit more with certain ways of presenting. So so their philosophy was you had three way, uh, three things to present and three ways of presenting it. So one could be, you know, a visual clip. It could be one statistic. Or it could be one training ground clip. And you couldn't go over that. You had to get your message across quite sharp. And the players have to leave with those three distinct messages um, nailed down. And, uh, you know, I spoke to a lot of the coaches back in Munster about that. And we've kind of adopted a, a little bit of that strategy. It's just to try and engage players with three simple messages. And that we could do that five or six times a week. But, you know, at the end of each day, over the course of a day, that those three points were dropping in and, and, and registering. So, you know, where that hot Monday, Tuesday is really information overload a little bit, you know, tailor it back a little bit. Then when you get to Thursday and then you get to Saturday, you know, the information becomes even less. So it's just about getting ready for performance. So, you know, Monday's a lot of information, Tuesday a lot less, um, and then Thursday even littler. And then and then it's over to the players. You know, the players then perform because you haven't overloaded them with information. Um, so, yeah, there's, you know... Uh, Dealing with the club players, it's, it's incredible. You, you you do learn over a little while that you've just got to be be very simplistic in your um, in your plan, very simplistic in your messaging, and and most important, be consistent in that messaging, because uh, you know the club player wants information. He looks at you and, and says, you know, how am I performing in the game? And if you give him a hundred things, he gets a little bit lost in that, or ten things, he's a bit lost in that. But if you give him two or three simple things to work on, you're accountable and they're accountable. That three messages, that's something that I think any amateur coach, any grassroots coach could do. It's not like maybe the video might get lost a bit or maybe the statistic, but certainly if you're talking to your 10 from the weekend and you say, look, you've kicked, I don't know, one from seven, like there's your statistic. That's obviously a message you're getting through and, you know, you, you ran this very well and here's a little clip maybe of, of even off your mobile phone and we'll get to that in a little bit, but, you know, just to have those three little messages to give them something to aim for, I think that's ideal. Um, yeah, Jeff, if you like, I mean, I know, I know, and you're probably the same when you come after a game and you speak to people in a clubhouse after match. Everyone has hundred things that went right in the game, hundred things that went wrong in the game. I think over over a course of time with experience, you know, you don't want to sound um, condescending to them, but you'd love to just say, look, you know, that's great, but. You know, there's only a couple of things we need to work on next week. You know, we can't go react, be reactive and work on everything again Tuesday night, everything again on Thursday night and, and expect the same on Thursday or on Saturday. It's OK, let's let's look what's going to be vital for next week. Like you said, it'd be initially is the breakdown. So if our breakdown is 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 causing us problems in the game, well, let's let's simplify the breakdown. Let's clear, be really uh, clear and have lots of clarity around our roles in there. And let's build that towards Saturday. That's one thing you can tick off and get right. If that was the biggest cause, well, then make that the, the main the main thing for the week. Well, in regards to those short messages too, I imagine your video analysis is quite sh- short and sharp too. I mean, you're hardly sitting down and showing an 80-minute game and saying, okay, we're going to watch this from start to finish and uh, pick out absolutely everything. I imagine it's just 
little two minute clips almost of XYZ right there we go and an example maybe of those three messages that you mentioned it, with a professional side we've certainly sit down and watch games in full and um, some coaches um, that, I've, that I've worked with here in Munster I've definitely done that you know and it's more of a learning tool to, you know, to understand because the best players are the best coaches on the pitch. Um, so sometimes you've got to look at those ebbs and flows in games and the, you know, the, the psychology of the game, how it's working and how we react. So from a professional level, you've certainly sat down and looked at games uh, as a group um, with all the dead timeouts, which would be 28, 30, 36 minutes tops, that type of thing. So you certainly sit down and have a discussion at the right time of the year. You can't do that every week. You can, you can do that maybe once or twice a year maybe in preseason, maybe after your first set of preseason games, just so everybody's on the same, um, the same uh, alignment with our philosophy and how we strategically play a game. At club level, 100%, no, I wouldn't sit down and watch a full game. We, you, you get uh, the coaches to send a game out to the players on YouTube or on, on Huddle and get the players to feed back a bit of information back into WhatsApp, um, the biggest work-ons. Uh, maybe get the players to feed back a little bit of information to yourself individually about what they what they felt worked went went right went well went poorly and give them the little bit of feedback back. So, you know, you just don't have the time at club level to sit down with every single player and go through their game week in week out. So, you know, but if you can think of ways to get them engaged in it and watch it themselves and be accountable, well, then you're you're halfway there. There's a lot of content creators on the social media channels, like especially YouTube and Twitter and Instagram that do their own analysis on a try or on a line out or whatever it may be. Is that almost a hindrance to you at times because you have players seeing it and saying, Oh, why did we do this? Or can it be a help to you? Because maybe you've, I don't know, maybe you just didn't spot something else or like, how, how does that, how does that kind of feed into your role at the moment? Oh no. Analysts are the biggest thieves around uh, club analysts are, you know, you watch, you watch so much sport, you watch so much things on social media. And I, like I said to you at the very beginning, you've got to stay up with world trends in the game. You've got to be ahead of it um, to a certain extent, but you've definitely got to be seeing where the game is going. And, and if, you know, there's smarter minds out there picking the things up and you can pick on them, 100% go with it. Um, the, the, the key here is though that you don't um, introduce 10 different things to the coaches, like I said as well. You don't go, I, I saw this player do that, this team do that. What we're trying to be is the best version of ourselves as a team. And I think... Where you can make the mistake as a team is you you constantly try and copy another team, constantly try another and copy another team. Then you're constantly chasing that team, and um, you're you're constantly trying to be that team. And and they've moved on by the time you try by the time you catch up with that trend. So I think what's important here for us in Munster is that we're trying to create our own brand of rugby, our own style, our own our own um, philosophy, and um, and we just look at getting better at that. Yes, we'll 100% look at other teams and pick up what they're doing and see how that will fit into our model. But I think it's um, if you're constantly chasing something else, you lose sight of the, the 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 goal right in front of you. You mentioned that you watch training from different angles and close-ups and far-outs and you know all these different video angles. But I suppose moving towards the club game now, when it comes to the amateur level, and you wanted to start bringing in analysis into the team, but you only had let's say basic tools like a camera, phones, you know WhatsApp, all these kind of you know. Every, everyday things that everybody has now how would you go about implementing an analysis team or analysis aspect into a club team i think if you, if you look at low budget to start with and see and see where you can go from that the key is still to build a strategy around what you want to do with it um, and who's responsible for doing what within that 
So if you're the head coach of the team and and you're saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and it all falls on you and you don't deliver on that, well, then, you know, you're going to lose credibility around it. Where if you delegate certain responsibilities to different coaches within your group, um, you start building a, a, you know, a good strategy that's robust and that will work right throughout the season and be consistent. So whether that's just guaranteeing you're going to have a cameraman at every game, and if that cameraman can only record off you know, an iPad for 20 minutes, you know, and then he's got maybe connected to a SIM card that you know, oh, I can get 80 minutes now. Okay. Or whether it's, uh, he's got a simple handy cam, you know, two or 300 euro, you got a tripod. And then you got the challenge at different grounds, whether, you, whether you've got height or not, but you just got to map out that strategy that's going to work for you. I mean, some people say we don't need it and that's fine. That's their, that's their decision. You've got other ways to coach, et cetera, et cetera. But if you want it to be part of your, um, your club's, um, you know, foresight. You know, you want to. It's their part of their plan going forward as a, as, a, as a club. Well, then you need to map out how you're going to use it. What what's there to use? Is there an online resource tool that you're going to distribute uh, the footage to players? Are you going to cut it yourself on your own laptop? Um, are you going to pass it to an assistant coach maybe to do his bit of work? But without planning it, I think it falls between two stools um, and doesn't get done properly. So. It doesn't matter how simple that may be. Maybe it might be just a, a manager recording some WhatsApp clips during the game of lineouts. It, it really doesn't matter what your pla- what your what way you do it. As long as you have a plan and you're happy with that plan, you can use the footage and you can use the information. And um, we've all seen many many different ways that it's done. And um, you know, people standing on on cars at the back of a ground, the side of a ground, top of a truck. You know, I remember working for the IRFU back in 2006. We we looked at an audit of all the all the clubs around Ireland and tried to get something implemented about building scaffolding systems. We got partially there, but we didn't get the whole way there. But the, you know, most grounds have 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 looked at it and have spent a bit of money in, in getting a bit of scaffolding or getting a bit of height um, situated in, our, in a clubhouse, etc., to at least facilitate the recording properly of uh, footage from a good angle. You know, once you have that, um, you know, even even Bose, I don't do a huge amount of the, the video footage in Bose at all. Uh, you know, there's guys like Olin Daly, BJ Both, Tommy O'Donnell, Carl Sheridan. So they're guys that are, you know, learning and 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 watching the game. And when I say learning, there's World Cup winner medals there. I don't yeah. mean learning the game, but you know, learn learning learning to be coaches and learning to be uh, analysts of the game. Um so you know, delegating the work onto them and, and, and getting them engaged in it and feeding back to players, it, it's critical because it can't just fall on you as the head coach to watch that. I mean, you can you have to facilitate that a little bit and, and, and most importantly, trust the process within that. We'll actually come back to the word facilitate in a minute because it's, it's one I want to touch on. But in terms of you yourself, I know you have reams and reams of video available to you from between Munster opposition. Would you ever kind of while watching a game, notice something that you're trying to work on in Bose and just take that short clip and just whip it into the WhatsApp group? And No, 100%. I mean, um, when I set out as, as head coach of Bose, I just wanted to give them a different style of rugby and also try a few things. Um, they were a club who, who wanted to be different. Um, and it was more so just because they're a young um, college team. You know, they get excited about playing a certain way. So we looked at a, a, a Connect 2, which is two 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 system. And um, I think the more players, these young fellas got a little bit almost addicted to the style of play that we're playing. They started seeing small things in Southern Hemisphere games or, you know, Saracens games that played a little bit of it, um, all this type of stuff. They started watching and they actually started sending clips into um, into WhatsApp and going, geez, you know, look, 
I saw this in the weekend that could actually work within our system. Um, and it's not that it's a, it's a flamboyant wide game or anything like that. It's just a structure. It's only a structure is only there to give you a bit of shape and um, to put players in good positions and et cetera. And then you got to bring, bring your own self to the game. Um, but it was just because it was different. Not so much, like I said, it's not because it's different to what Munster play. It's, it's not different in style or, or philosophy. It's just different in setup. Um, and uh, because they hadn't came through or hadn't seen that type of way of playing before, um, you know, they all grasped onto it and started looking at videos online and seeing how other teams maybe manipulated the same style. Taking off the kind of video analysis hat now and putting on your own coaching mm-hmm. one for Bose, and we'll probably move towards that now. I wanted to ask you what your own coaching philosophy is, or more simply, why is it that you coach? I, I actually started out, well, apart from playing in school and stuff like that, I mean, I, I started coaching when I was in, in senior senior class, uh, well, sixth year in school, coaching um, under, under 11s, under 12s, and just trying to grasp the, a feel for it, a real thirst for it. Um, then when I left school, I went into the Leinster Rugby Development Office. Um, I worked in there with some, some really good people like Kurt McQuilk and Colin McAtee, Ian Sherwin, just to name a few, and Alan Gaffney was in there as well with us spending a lot of time watching, watching rugby. Um, and yeah, like I mean, I was 19, 20 working, working in the Leinster Rugby Development Office and I was coaching junior cup teams and senior cup teams in schools. Um, I just it just I just had an appetite for it, loved doing it, got a got a great kick out of um, you know, teaching kids, got a great great, great particularly when it came around game time. That was that's what I lived for, you know, when it came to the match and seeing things put in place that you put in during the week. And I get that same buzz from being a performance analyst. I get that same you know, from preparing all week and coming to the game and, and seeing what you've done all week come true and, and sometimes seeing, seeing, seeing what you planned all week and not implemented. But that's, that's the game. That's the game. It's so dynamic. You can't, it's not played on a computer. So, you know, it, it happens real time. But still that kick, that, that absolute buzz of just, you know, coaching it, seeing it come, come off well or, you know, it didn't come off well in the weekend. Let's, how are we going to fix it? That type of thing. So, look, it's always been an appetite for me since I left school. You've worked with, I don't know how many coaches over the years you've been coaching now, and not only that, but you've worked with players who've now moved into coaching as well. Is there any one message you've taken from anything that you still bring through to your own coaching today? Yeah, I think consistency and messaging is, is critical for me. Um, I think between the consistency and having buy-in of the messaging. So that philosophy, and I think it goes back to your last question, that that buy-in is critical across the organization, whether it's amateur or uh, professional. So that can't be just my plan. It can't be just, this is George Murray's way of playing, or this is Munster's way of playing. And, uh, you know, by Johan van Grand, you know, it's, it's having everybody's information and it's having players feeding into it, having, uh, you know, if I go into, into Bose and say, look, looking at playing this way, what do you think? Um, you know, it's, it's not our style. Never was. Um, okay. Can I make it be your style? Well, you know what? If we have all of uh, a little bit of buy-in, we can. And then backing that up all the time with the consistent messaging of it, um, I think it creates a good platform for everybody to learn and get better in. Oh, that makes sense. It's just, um, I think if you chop and change week to week and what, how you want to play and be reactive all the time, it just gets stagnant and goes forward. Looking at the similarities between the players you, you see in Munster and the players you coach in Bowes, what similarities do they share to make them a successful player? Um, it's a good question. Um, I think appetite to improve. Um, you know, that appetite, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm a very competitive person, whether playing golf or playing soccer, 
five side soccer. It's it's to my detriment at times. Like, well, if you're, not, if you're not thrown over the monopoly board, you're not playing properly. That's what they say, isn't it? <laughs> I agree. Well, that that would be me. I just look. Uh, I think you you play sport to compete and to win. Um, and just the taking part element, of course, and I'm all I'm all for that. But when you when you get to a certain level, that's what you're there for. Um, so I think the common trait would be that appetite to improve. Um, and I see that right across the board with our with, you know, with the with the with the players that I've worked with in Munster for without without a shadow of doubt that appetite to improve and, you know, the appetite to 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 be part of that community and make the community pr- proud. And that's 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 the Munster community. And I, I see that with with Bose. It's it's reciprocal in the sense that. They're a very local community team. Um, and look, you get that with every club. So I'm not saying bows are unique in that way. You get that with every club. And I think that's the beauty of it. Um, and, and it's one of the things that if you don't build on, you know, can be diluted and waste away over time. So I think just just using the, the, the UL Bohemians example, their identity within the within the Castle Troy, Anacati area in, in Limerick and building on that community. And I see it massively during COVID, the work they've done around helping uh Milford Hospice out helping uh, painting or um, you know bringing shopping to the elderly all that sort of stuff the stuff they've engaged in is incredible so you know I think that's that's a big big part of it if you've got something to play for you'll play for there's two things you touched on there that I actually just want to ask you about the first one you said that appetite to improve anytime I ask that question that kind of tends to be the answer and it almost comes across that professionalism is not but a word and do you have to try and enforce them in Bohemians or do the players take it upon themselves to do it? And if I don't want you naming names or anything, but in, in the mm. past, if you've come across a player maybe who's not willing to to take up that mantle, how have you pushed that player to become professional and all but, I suppose, payment? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think you got to look at yourself um, as in even me. I've got to look at myself in the mirror and, and, and say, have I been professional? in how I've been and I know when I go back to when I played I certainly can say to myself I wasn't professional all the time and could I have performed higher with, without a shadow of a doubt could I have performed higher if I was better prepared if I was looked after my nutrition if I went to every gym session that Shannon at the time or Greystones at the time you know gave me I, I 100% didn't do that um, so you know it, it's only when you get to, at the back end of it you can look at yourself and say did you give it all this I'd say I absolutely didn't give us everything that I could have to be at the, at the optimum level as a player without without a shadow of doubt so but that's you know that's the nature of being a 21 a 20 year old 21 year old 22 year old in, in, in amateur rugby there's lots of distractions so you know you can only you can only sit on the player a little bit uh, you know so much and, and, and sometimes you've got to put your arm around the guy and see if there's something outside of rugby that's stopping him from doing certain things and uh, and that's why part of coaching is is is, is man managing, um, and, and I find that you know Carl Sharon's working with us, and he, he's a qualified sports psychologist, and he's incredible in this area. It's just you know put, putting the arm around a guy, or maybe shouting at a guy. Some guys need different different sparks to get them going, but you can't sit on their nutrition, you can't sit on them um, on their sleep at professional level. But you can ask the question: Are you are you ready to play? And if they say yes, I've done everything to be ready to play, and, and they, you know you know they're lying to you you, you can you they, they know that and, and, and you'll know it pretty quick as well so i think it's that honesty that honesty value of information back to each other i mean you look each other in the eye and say are you ready to perform 100 i'm ready to perform i've done everything and uh then you then you've got a relationship with somebody you know and the second part of that is you mentioned the identity around bows did you 
try and bring in a new identity or did you just look to kind of cultivate the one that was there already? No, certainly didn't look to bring in a new identity, new identity as regards the, the, the well, not even a new identity, just a, a, a variation of the identity of style of play. That was all. Um, the the identity of club is it's a, it's a it's a mix of a college club and a local club, um, and it's trying to merge those two qualities. Um, so there's lots of people before I came in as coach there has built the identity of that club. So I certainly wouldn't go down that route, but um, you know. It's probably something that Carl Sharon has has done more than far more than me is is build on the whole club aspect. You know, he he was brought down from Sligo as part of their initial uh, academy with Ian Costello, and um, so he was ingrained in that in that club when when they were playing one A one B etc. Um, so you know, using someone like him to actually delve into the the qualities of the community and, and what the club means, um, he's definitely been the, the leader in that forefront. Um, when I came in as a coach, I just wanted to give them a new style of play, something to get their teeth into, something to enjoy. Um, but also, as time went on, really grasp what that philosophy or what that community was for them, or I, sorry, identity was for them, and build on that through my own way. Looking at some of the challenges that not just Bows face, but pretty much clubs all over the country, um, especially amateur clubs. You know, you mentioned there that Bows is a, is a mix of college and club players. And I imagine because of them being college players, the turnover, maybe not every year, but maybe every two years can be quite big. And I just wanted to ask you, what do you look for in a player? How do you go about recruiting new players to your team? And, you know, we've all said, or we've all heard, I should say, the grab a mate, bring him down. You know, that just, that flat out doesn't work. I don't think it's ever worked uh, with any team. So how do you go about, you know, growing the team or recruiting new players? And I suppose, what do you look for in those players as well? Yeah, the, the grab a mate and bring him down, if you're not if you're not bringing them down to an environment that he likes or environment that clicks straight away it certainly won't work so i think part of it's true i think part of it's true particularly in limerick you've got so many senior club sides trying to compete for a small pool of play, pool of players um you know you've got to have something different you've got to have uh, and that and that difference for me and um it's just trying to when they do come down to training that they see something refreshing they see something um energetic and exciting um that's what I tried to do first and, and, and the other coaches tried to bring to it. So, you know, the recruitment of players is, um, like you said, in the college teams, you've got that turnover players every couple of years. Um, it, it's quite difficult. You've got to try and retain some of the senior guys when they finish college uh, and some of the local local guys to try and keep that community aspect. So there is challenges there. And certainly being outside of 1A and 1B, you can't attract, say, the academy players um, uh, or some of the senior players to play. So, You've got to look at that upper up and coming group, that younger group. Um, and the flip side of that then is if you can give um, what we try to recreate is, is try to create a positive learning environment for the players from a coaching aspect that we've got. That's why we've got some really good coaches there that are in the start of their career, but they've got some value, valuable information. So for a young guy who may not be getting um, first team experience at, at, at Gary Owen or, or um, Cork Con or anybody like that, you know, for them to spend a year or two gaining really good coaching that get, makes them a better player when they're 20 years of age, 21 years of age. I think that's the niche aspect that we're looking at. And, uh, you know, if they go to another level, we, we give them, we, they, they go with our blessing. When it comes to giving autonomy to coaches or the freedom for themselves to coach, and I know you've got very high pedigree guys there, but not only how important is it to do for them and for you, but... Is it was it difficult for you to do to begin with to kind of let go of the reins and to say, look, this is your area, this is what this is what 
I want, how you do it is your own. I think every, every head coach is very, very unique in, in his style of management. And um, I suppose probably the fact that I'm so busy with Munster gives me a, a different style of management with, with UL Bowls. It's that I like to, you know, in my downtime, look at how we're, how we're going to build a team, how we're going to play um, and how our training sessions are going to run. So if I can manage that aspect um, and then the, the coaches that we have, have bought into to the style that we're looking to play and 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 how we're going to coach. Um, once you've got that trust, like I said, back to a few other things, we've got that trust between the whole group. You know, the the managing the coaching staff is easy because uh, I'd much rather them be coaching it and and me being over being being able to overlook it a little bit and drop my information and see how it's clicking on and and um i think that's my that's one of my strong points there is is really going you know bj you've got um you know 20 minutes forwards work there tommy you've got 10 minutes breakdown work at the beginning call olin etc but overseeing that and pulling the strings to make it all work and 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 i suppose time managing the session for them etc um you know like i said every every coach every head coach is going to have a different way of managing that and some will you know are want all the power and want all the say and want all the words and want the final word and the first word, you, you name it. And that's, and that's so be it if it works for them. But I suppose just coming from the background that I've come from, I've, I've seen the good and bad um, and I try to merge them all together. It's just from what I've learned is that delegation is key. Um, you know, if you can delegate rightly to, the, to, to, your, to your coaching group and to your staff, be it at professional level or amateur level, um, they'll feel they'll feel accountable and have responsibility and be part be much you know there's much much more chance of them feeling part of the whole process. Yes, the, like you said, you go back to international or club level, senior level, it doesn't matter. The book will stop with the head coach and he'll be the guy at the front foot, whether it's been you know being uh, applauded or being uh, or being taken apart. So you mentioned it earlier as well that when you came into the clubhouse after a game and ten people are telling you ten different things. And how do you go about blocking out the noise? I think I think the easiest answer is, oh yeah, we'll have a look at that. Nod and smile. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's have a look at that again. Um, yeah, you. It can be confrontational. It could easily be confrontational. I, I never make it confrontational because um, you know sometimes th- that person could be right, could be picking out the most important thing, and you haven't been able to reflect on it yet. So I think. Just being a little bit calm, you know, without be, and and not be confrontational with a person, um, and just um, you know take it on board. But you know, sometimes you are you do know when somebody's talking rubbish, um, but again, it doesn't help anybody by just shooting them down because that's probably what that person wants to get involved in anyway. He wants to get in a, a little bit of a uh, wrestle match around opinion. So I think it's always it's always best just to take it on board and try and try and move on. <laughs> I know and I know in club level it's not easy to move on at the bar sometimes. That's it, yeah. When you have, when you have people telling you five things, but it can be awful difficult as well for, you know, let's say the head coach. I mean, you you, let's say like that, you have five people telling you five things, but you might have been focused for ten minutes on one player, making sure that their dead leg was, you know, they were getting over it or something. And there's an awful lot you would have missed at the same time, and it's impossible watching a game live to to notice everything. So that period of reflection. How important is it to after a game to go away, get a good night's sleep, wake up the next day, and think to yourself, "Okay, now we'll talk about it." Do you do that, or do you try and reflect on it straight away after the game? No, definitely had definitely go away from the game, and think about it. I mean, we've all been in those situations um, where you get the little huddle at the end of a game, and you and you, you know, you want to say your parting words, but 
ask your question how many how many times if if you came away from that that circle and just shouted about something and then walked away and said geez the points I made at the end of the game were absolutely rubbish you know that was just emotion talking and so and a lot of the time it is just emotion talking so I do think if you can just even if it's if you're going to have a huddle at the end of the game it's it's not on the pitch maybe do it in the change room go have a walk to the change room take five minutes to write a few things that you thought about the game and then give them a message that they can go away on and think about and work on rather than you know straight after the game you lose a game you bring them into a huddle and you shout a load of emotional uh, opinions at them and uh, that helps nobody in my opinion I think uh, although you'd like to get you know a lot of people want to get things off their chest it may be not and most of the time it's not the most productive thing to do and it, not only that I think nobody's probably more disappointed for losing than the players themselves so it's that idea of like you're exactly like you're preaching to the choir. You're just giving out to those who have got hurt for the cause when, you know, they, they understand fully. I am like, they understand fully the cost of what they've just done. Didn't come out. So why, yeah. why give out to them? Like It's like, it's like you're, you're just ramming it down their throat again, just to make you feel happy um, that you got it off your chest. And, and like I said, it's, it's not productive. So, you know, sometimes you'll have that huddle at the end of the pitch, just go, lads, let's reflect we'll, we'll, we'll chat we'll chat on whatsapp we'll we'll send the message out later on you know and that that might be that might be just after loss just go look we're not going to talk about that now we're all disappointed let's get in have a shower let's reflect afterwards and you know that's the beauty of something like whatsapp it's instant um and you can engage people and just get a message out with maybe three or four points about performance um and then another message three or four four points about what you're going to do this week to 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 change that cycle or or to to improve as a team? In Bose, do you have subcommittees of players that are in charge of different areas? Like, would you have? Would you? I imagine you probably have a forwards group and a backs group as well as an overall team group. But in that, would there be separate units like a front row group have their own WhatsApp group and uh, you know maybe the hookers are in charge of that or something like that? And you know you feed messages through that way or is you know is it getting too much I, too quick? I think. I think you know WhatsApp groups. You can get lost in the amount of having having them on the phone. It's, it's incredible. Um, no, we, we do try and tailor it back a bit. Um, you know, I'm sure other people create groups outside of the head coaches and the and the assistant coaches groups as well. And the players have different groups, but um, we try to keep it pretty narrow. Um, you know, forwards and backs will have a group, um, and the team will have a group. You, you may have a group around uh, senior players just to get their opinion around, you know, travel or kiss or food or anything, any, you know, the big things, the big picture things that, that are going to help the team. Um, but it, yeah, and maybe a management group just to help things out there. Um, but Christ, if you, you can go too far with those WhatsApp groups. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You can be a member of 500 and not even realize till the yeah. message comes in. Yeah, um, exactly. Do you have leadership groups in Bose? Uh, we do, yeah, yeah. We have a small leadership group. Um, Kyle looks after that mainly. Um, obviously, coming from his background, he's director of rugby and he's sports psychologist background, so he look after that from the you know from the bigger picture over a period of time. Um, but yeah, we have we game leadership groups that we just talk to, and I suppose two or three players that I'd I'd, I'd always chat to just cast you know cast an eye over certain things over a period of time to get their opinion on. Very good. Looking at everything between working with Munster, working with Bows, and you know, your own family time too. How do you keep your own mental health healthy while having so much to do? 
yeah, it's funny enough because I what I what I try to do is I actually look at the club game as a little bit of a release for me to a certain extent. Um, I get to I get to work from seven in the morning until six in the evening with, with a professional rugby team. It's the greatest job in the world. And um, you know when you get that Tuesday night and you 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 go to uh, implement that or or showcase that to some of some amateur players. I mean, you can't get much more enjoyment out of that. Albeit, yeah, it's time and it's difficult, and you know, uh, not, it's not that it's difficult, but you get you you're away from your family and you've got to prioritize certain things. But you know, for me, club rugby is that one hour, hour and a half coaching. If you've got the right systems in place, the right coaches around you who can carry a little bit of baggage around the other stuff, um, you know, you, I, that's why I feel coaching for me is a little bit of a release. And the games, let's say a monster game, has never followed you into Bo's training or vice versa. Uh, sorry, how do you mean by that? As in, let's say you might have lost on a Sunday with Bo's. Has that ever come with you into work on Monday morning, or is it easy for you to separate the both? No, not it's easy. It's easy for me to separate the both. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I've learned. I've learned. I've learned to just go. You know, cancel out one week and move into the next week very quickly with everything that I that I do. Um, I think you can, everybody in life can carry too much baggage around certain things. So, you know, you know, Rassi and when Axel died that time taught a lot of us in this place, a lot of, you know, real life lessons um, about not carrying baggage, not, not worrying about too much. Um, you know, you've got responsibility, but it's, it, it's important that that responsibility doesn't weigh you down all the time. You know, it doesn't carry around um, to make you feel down around certain things. Just, you know, pack up that loss, start from zero, like Johan would say, let's go again from, from Monday and, 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 and rebuild because, you know, the game moves on, players move on, coaches move on, I move on. We, we all will move in different circles, but um, yeah, I think you get the message what I'm trying to say there. Just move on to the next thing. Don't let, let, the, let the previous one take you down too much. And next job mentality almost. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Well, the last question I'd like to ask you is one I like to ask every coach I chat to and if you had any advice to give to any coach, what would it be? It's a big question. There's lots of advice you give. Um, I suppose if I had to look at my own my own philosophy of coaching is be excited. Um, I think you you've got to be really excited about what you're doing to 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 uh, engage the player and to make him feel like you're excited about coaching him. Um, and that, that, that's coming down to turning up a training and being ready for it. Um, you know, when you do that first drill, bring energy to it um, because you really believe in it. I think there's nothing worse than coming to training and seeing a coach throw down four cones and begin the training and say, right, lads, in there and do something like this. You know, if you think about yourself as an amateur player and we've been there, um, you come down to training, you want to work hard, you want to, you want to get a sweat on, you want, to, you want to feel like that hour was worth it. So if you're coming to training as a coach, demotivated and disinterested in what you're just about to coach, um, that will rub off on the players, will rub off on the performance of the weekend. So I suppose just thinking back, the single biggest message, be, be absolutely excited and committed to what you're doing. On the flip side of that, if you have a player coming down, and I know I said that was the last question, sorry, but this one just cropped in. That's okay. But, but <laughs> if you have a player who comes down and like they're just finished a 12-hour shift or their child might have been up all night crying and then they have to go to work and suddenly they're at training and you're thinking, why aren't you excited to be here? How do you go about instilling that kind of 
I suppose, excitement or how important is it to have a plan B and say, look, it's cool, go home, get some sleep. You know, there are bigger things. Like. Um, if I can answer that honestly, it's because I've often had to do it as a head coach as well. I've often had to say to my assistant coaches, look, I'm shot. I'm, I've got a cough, got a high temperature or, or didn't get any sleep. I've been working all day. I've got something to get done for tomorrow. I'm, can you take over tonight? I think if you've got that trust running right through. Um, and again, if I didn't delegate to the coaches that they could coach, then they, I wouldn't feel like I'd have the power or they'd have the power to be able to, to put through my message. So, when you build up that relationship over a period of time, you should be able to get a player, be able to come to you and say, look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm dust. I'm no good tonight. Can I just come along Thursday night, send me the detail on WhatsApp and, and we move on. I think it comes back to your style of coaching and style of, get, of man management. Um, if that player says it to you once off and he says, uh, you know, I'm, I, I can't make tonight working late. And then he sees a little hole and a little hole of opportunity does that every Tuesday night for the next six weeks. Well, then that trust is broken. It's it's not real. It's probably not, uh, he, he, he's taking advantage of you. So I think when you do it once or twice, you've got to say, right, is this going to become something that's that's going to happen all the time? If it is, we'll make a plan. You know, we'll make it work. But is this you just getting out of training because for X, Y, and Z, well, then then we need to look a different direction with it. So just that openness as a coach and as a man manager, that that openness and, and, and being clear of thought, clear of the process for the player as well. Well, George, listen, I'll leave it there. Thanks a million for, for chatting about everything. I mean, from video to Bose to management, um, it's a pretty wide open episode, but I'd just like to say thanks a million for, for being so open and being so honest about everything. My pleasure. My pleasure. Glad to contribute. It was difficult trying to balance between the both as well, mentally. As well, but, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, I didn't mean for too no, much crossover. Yeah. But... No, good. I hope, I hope it came across well. Cheers. Thanks a million. Well, that's it for me today, folks. Thanks a million for tuning in. If you enjoyed the podcast, please feel free to rate, review and subscribe to it. And if you really enjoyed it, please feel free to send it to a friend who may be interested as it's the easiest way for the podcast to grow. Thanks a million, folks. See you in the next episode.